Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I have a repeat guest on our podcast today, Garrett Salpeter. He was in episode 41 of the Missing Link podcast, where he talked to us all about his development. Garrett is known as the health engineer. He trained in engineering and neuroscience and used it to create NuFit and the patented Newbie device. He trains doctors, therapists, and professional sports teams and universities in how to apply new fit with their patients and athletes, helping them recover faster from injury and optimize performance. And all of these teachings also apply to the MS population. He is the best-selling author of the book, The New Fit Method, and host of the Undercurrent podcast. On today's episode, we talk about new research on the newbie device that was specifically performed in people with multiple sclerosis. So we'll get an idea on how effective it is and benefits for those with MS. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast. Garrett, thank you so much for being here with us today. Gretchen, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, it's a tremendous honor to be on for the second time, especially. I know. And we I can't believe that the first time was episode 41. And we're now, um, the episode that was published today of this recording was 150. So it's been a while. And now you have so many more updates about Newbie, which I'm really excited to get into. But before we do, is it okay if I ask you a question from my interview deck? Of course. Yes. That's my my favorite part of, <laughs> of your show here. <laughs> All right, let's see. As long as, as long as it's a question, I, you know, it's not too embarrassing right now. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, your question is, does your name have a special or significant meaning? And if so, what? My mother tells me that in some, I, I don't know if it's Greek or whatever, you know, some Latin origin that my name has has some uh, some meaning of observation like, or to, to observe, be the observer. And she says, I don't know if, you know, every, every mother views their kids through a, through a certain set of eyes. Right. So I don't know how true it is or not, but she tells me that, that I was very closely watching the pediatrician when he was, when he was, you know, evaluating me right after I was born. And she says that he said that I was, you know, the most observant baby he'd ever seen. Of course, she's dramatic. She's my mother. Right. So so apparently uh, that played into their selection of my name. I, I have to, now that you mentioned it, I'll have to go back and look in the Greek or Latin dictionaries or Google search if that's even remotely true, if the you know, <laughs> or the origins of this is at all related to, to that notion of observation. But that's what my mother tells me. 
I love that. And I feel like that actually kind of relates to what you do now, because in order to develop something like the newbie, it requires that, that observation. So I could see that being true. Yeah, maybe. I love that, that notion of nominative determinism where, you know, people will end up doing things that are similar to their, their names. Uh, yeah, there's all these different funny examples, but uh, maybe, maybe that maybe that's played into my you know, maybe it was written in the stars that I, I was destined to be doing what I'm doing now. Right, right. Oh, now I want to look up my name because I don't know what my name means. Right. <laughs> Everyone always asks, though, if I'm German because Gretchen is a German name and I think means Margaret, maybe. And I don't think I am German, actually, but I'll find the meaning. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I told you, but my sister's name is Greta. And so I, I'm always I'm always afraid. I'm like, all right, don't call her Greta. Don't call her Greta. <laughs> but our mother told us that her name has something to do with like pearl, like a shiny, sparkly object like that. So I wonder, I don't know, maybe similar origin. Okay, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. I don't I don't know many Gretchens. I know one other Gretchen that I know like in person. And so even just hearing that there's a Greta out there is cool. <laughs> Oh yeah. She's, she's up, she's up in the Northeast now. She's actually in upstate New York. We'll have to connect you too. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. So um, let's dive in. So again, as I mentioned, our very first episode with Garrett was episode number 41 in the Missing Link podcast. So if you do want to kind of go back, we talked about all things newbie, what it is, how it works, who it's for, benefits, all that good stuff. But for today, we're kind of going to take a different twist on things. I do want you to share a bit about who you are and what you do first in case people haven't listened to that or do need a reminder. So can you fill us in on that first? Yeah, so the the Cliff's Notes version of episode forty one is, I uh, initially, you know, started out as an athlete, and also I was a pre engineering student. I played ice hockey in college, but I was I was set to I was a physics major, set to go to engineering school. Very, you know, science oriented and enthusiastic about my ap- academic studies as, as well as my athletics. And I had an experience where I was supposed to have some surgery to repair torn ligaments, that you know, an injury I suffered playing hockey and. I, you know, with based on my previous experiences, I figured that that was kind of the only answer. I had been disappointed with traditional physical therapy, traditional orthopedic medicine. And then, the, you know, this injury turned out to be perhaps one of the greatest blessings of my life because I ended up meeting a doctor who was doing functional neurology and looking at older versions, you know, analog, more like microcurrent types of, of technology, but di- looking at direct current. And so functional neurology is looking at the neurological response to injury and trauma. So not just the torn ligaments or the, you know, the bones, muscles, tissues, but looking at the neurological response, the signals that the nervous system is sending to activate or not activate the muscles that should be supporting that injured area as it heals and looking at the global neurological state, whether that, whether that is putting the body in a position where it's going to support healing or not um, looking at that and then using direct current and creating these electric field gradients that can cause cells to migrate and influence and accelerate the healing and regenerative processes in the body. And long story short, I I went through treatments and I avoided surgery. I was back in three weeks instead of three months. And I was, I was ecstatic as a hockey player to be, to be back on the ice sooner. But as a pre-engineering student, as someone looking at it through that kind of scientific lens, I was just, I was just I, overjoyed. I was just beside myself to to find something that actually made sense scientifically from first principles. And going through that, I felt called to share that work with the world. Uh, I had had no idea at the time what it would look like, and that's now 
you know, 18 something years ago, as we're, as we're sitting here today, you know, that, that launched me on this, on this journey where I, for several years, I kind of call it my laboratory phase, worked with different clinicians using older electrical stimulation devices. And over that time, you know, put in the the 10,000 hours of working with people and also kept seeing, you know, looking at it through this engineering lens, kept seeing ways to improve the technology, also was motivated to go back to additional graduate school in neuroscience and and did that try kind of trying to piece everything together and you know through that process i finally decided what i want to do when i grow up and and that was you know essentially the the newbie device I love that so much. And I feel I'm such a fan of anything functional, like whether it's functional exercise, functional neurology, functional, anything, it's just a different game. As you just explained, it's, it looks at things that actually have meaning versus just clinical type of, of data. And oftentimes anything functional is going to lead to better results. So I love that. And can you explain what the newbie is? I know we have a whole episode on that, but before we get into the research of it, just give people an idea of what the newbie is and also how it's different from other types of electrical stimulation devices that are already out there on the market too. I think it's best to start there with the differences because people see it and they see, oh, there's electrodes. It must be a TENS unit or an FES device or something like that, right? And so there's this this big umbrella of electrical modalities. And underneath that, there's different categories of devices. The, The biggest categories would be alternating current and direct current. And virtually everything else that's out there, you know, including the TENS units, interferential, Russian STIM, NMES, FES, all of that is alternating current. And there's some interesting history there. The you know, direct current devices, actually, there's there's a couple of benefits that I'll that I'll mention momentarily, but there's also this really interesting history where the benefits of direct current were known literally, literally back in the 1960s, 1970s, but there was always this problem where when you turn it up to a high enough level to make a difference in the body, it would actually sting and burn the skin. And so the, the I kind of half jokingly will, will reference some of the history and talk about how the Soviets would use direct current on their athletes and they would burn their athletes and you know they could do that for Mother Russia. But, but over here, we, we couldn't do it. So it was a case of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater, direct current fell out of favor. It wasn't used for decades. And in its place came all of these alternating current modalities. And they have some benefits, but there's limitations. And that's a large part of why electrical stimulation is falling out of favor, is not being reimbursed nearly as as frequently or for as, you know, as highly as it used to be, you know, insurance-wise. And there's there's a lot of limitations. And a lot of that has to do with this difference between alternating current and direct current. So what are the differences, right? I think it's kind of the next question. So direct current, there's two main two main categories of benefits or difference here. One is when you have a direct current, you have this electric field gradient. So gradient is just like, think about if you had a, a, a ball on the top of a hill, a ball would roll down the hill because of gravity, right? Gravity acting on that. So an electric field gradient is just when you have an electric field, it, it will cause a charge to move just like a ball will roll down the hill, a positive charge towards a negative, negative charge towards the positive end, and that sets up this environment where if you apply these, these electric fields correctly, charges can move in a way that, of course, cells are charged, right? Inflammatory cells and proteins and different things that, that our bodies use to guide and, and actually perform healing. These are charged particles. So, so these direct current fields can influence 
healing in a positive way. A lot of the research initially, you know, we'll share some of our research updates on humans, but a lot of this research was done on in animal models. And so now there's questions that we're just beginning to answer about how well it translates into humans. And thankfully we're seeing that it does. But one category of benefits is this electric field gradient and the effect on healing. And then the other is the effect on the nervous system and how direct current can accelerate this process of neuromuscular re-education. And that's a fancy way of saying teaching your, your nerves and muscles to work better, right? Our muscles are controlled by our nerves as your listeners likely know better than most because of your wonderful education on, on this podcast here, but uh, re-educating the nervous system. So, so a lot of times, one interesting thing here is that a lot of times our brains and nervous systems actually limit us. So instead of getting us to do more, they want, they want us to do less in order to conserve energy because there might be a famine or because of learned disuse in someone who has MS where it becomes more difficult to move. And then for all these different reasons, neurologically, it, that, that, taps into the downside of neuroplasticity and and actually makes it more difficult to move. So it takes effort just to just to maintain, let alone, you know, to to reduce that that uh further degradation and function. So so there's this this opportunity here with direct current to bypass a lot of the protective co-contractions that you get with alternating current devices. So alternating that signal goes back and forth, back and forth. That causes muscles to co-contract meaning fight against each other. Like if you were driving your car, it's like hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time. But then it, there's also this element of, uh, because the signal is foreign to the body, it can create a stress response. The body will, will protect in response to that. We're able to bypass all of that to get this input into the nervous system so that we can, can identify where there's any dysfunction or weak links and then accelerate that process basically train the brain and nervous system faster to activate muscles or to relax muscles if they're if there's spasticity and they need to be relaxed or whatever we need to do, increase range of motion, reduce pain, all those sorts of things. And so you found a way to do that without burning your patients, I imagine. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, bringing that. Yes. Let's, let's be sure to close that loop, right? So we're not, thankfully we're not burning anybody. So we're able to, that's part of, you know, there's different patents on the machine and the technology has evolved and things like that. But, but that is one of the benefits is that we're able to get those, those benefits of direct current, but with the lack of stinging and burning and essentially the comfort of alternating current. And so that has to do with the engineering of the waveform and the, the signal and the underlying you know, electrical technology of the device. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Cause I think it's so important to know what the differences are between direct and alternating current. And I think most people don't, unless you've actively researched it yourself in the past and it does make a difference based on which one you're using. So I think that was a really good explanation. Let's get into the research. And so, because last time we spoke, I don't think there was any research out yet. I think it was in the works, but nothing had been published yet. But can you share with us a bit about what has been published so far? Yeah, absolutely. I think when we spoke, I think we probably had just only one actual published study, but it wasn't on, on MS yet. And that was the one looking at the acute effects on muscle hypertrophy, probably around that time. Actually, maybe, maybe I don't know, but uh, it was released just before around that time. But but now uh, we've had a several that that I, you know, I think would be would be wonderful to talk about. The most relevant, of course, would be the case series released on MS patients. So it's a case series. The title was a, a case series in individuals with multiple sclerosis using direct current electrical stimulation to inhibit spasticity and improve functional outcomes. So I I read that so I would get that right because that's a mouthful. But it was in the multiple sclerosis 
journal, uh, experimental, translational, and clinical, and it came out. They have quarterly issues, so it was the July through September of 2023 edition. Um, it just came out. I, I mentioned all that to just tell people identify the study, but of course, we'll you know I'll share with you the link, and, and we can post that in the notes and everything. But um, this was this was cool because it's the first published scientific article looking at the effects of this, you know, the newbie and this direct current approach on functional recovery in MS patients. And if I may kind of dive into some of the details, yeah, I would love to love to share that. So the study was performed by a, a great physical therapist who I've gotten to know named Courtney Ellerbush. She works for Centura, which is a big hospital system in Colorado. So out in the, the Denver area where she's working. And she had been treating MS patients and started using the newbie and just really wanted to document it. And, you know, I think has a real passion for this work and trying to help move the physical therapy profession forward. And, you know, just really wonderful to work with because of these, these motivations and her enthusiasm and knowledge and, and skill and ability in executing the study. So what she did was document uh, a case series. So that means, you know, there's case one person, one subject would be a case study looking at their outcomes and everything. And a case series is looking at similar individuals. So this was seven of them, uh, seven multiple sclerosis patients who did three treatments per week with Courtney and the newbie over a period of six weeks. So 18 treatments. And the in the study, she was looking at their function as measured by the timed up and go test and the 25 foot walking test. She was looking at um, What's the uh, expanded disability status scale, EDSS? Um, so they saw, the patients all saw a neurologist first and got their initial measurements um, and then were you know referred to the study, make sure they met all the inclusion criteria and everything. So we're looking at function, looking at the EDSS, and then also spasticity and strength in these patients. And you know, before we dive into to what happened, of course, you know, I want to give all the scientific caveats that. This is, it's a case series, so we're limited in, in what conclusions we can draw. There's no statistical significance. There, there are trends. Uh, however, you know, the trends are interesting and, and looking at what happened in the study, I think is very useful. And you know, I'd like to like to share some, some of what happened there. So, uh, so during the study, she did these measurements uh, before and before the first session, after the ninth session at the halfway mark, and then at the final, after the final session, after the 18th session, all seven patients got through all sessions. They tolerated it well. Only one patient missed one session and it was unrelated. It was because of a urinary tract infection, which was a, a comorbidity. Um, but so generally it was tolerated well. And she did a blend during, for the treatments. She did a blend of different, different things that we teach in our curriculum. So she had patients, if they had any neuropathy, lower extremity neuropathy, she had them doing a foot bath where there's an electrode, oh, just dropped the pen as I picked up an electrode, um, an electrode like this, if, if you're just listening to audio, I'm just holding up a, an electrode, but uh, floating in, a, in water with the patient's foot immersed in that water. And so the, the water is acting like a big dispersive medium where the current will, instead of just being local under the pad where, the, you know, where it's connected to the foot, it allows, it allows that current to spread and hit more of the foot because there's so many nerves so many receptors in the in the foot. So she did that. She did our mapping process where you actually take one of the electrodes and scan around on the body to identify exactly where the nervous system might be limiting or guarding, uh, creating tension that could lead to spasticity or where it's shutting down muscles that could lead to weakness. 
she did that. And then as patients progressed and each, each, you know, progressed at slightly different rates and had slightly different goals and things like that. But as they progressed, she would combine the stimulation with more functional movements and, uh, and then, you know, see how, see how people responded and how they progressed and measure along the way. So uh, fortunately she saw trends again, not statistically significant, right. But because uh, of the, the sample size, but she saw trends towards uh, improvements in spasticity, improvements in strength. Uh, five out of seven patients had drop foot symptoms that improved. That was a combination of strength in the front of the shin to lift the foot up and a reduction in spasticity in the calf musculature on the backside of the shin. And then let's see, she saw uh, two patients actually got to stand up for the first time in, in over three years. So that was two out of the two out of the seven subjects were were non-ambulatory, and both of them actually got to stand for the first time. They had been doing physical therapy, so it was really exciting to see that. She also, you know, saw so there's trends. If you look at look at the data, you know, she has data for everybody about the you know the timed up and go, which is stand up out of a chair, walk down, walk back, and sit down again. Uh, twenty five foot walk is how long it takes to walk twenty five feet. There was one one subject uh, was amazing. So timed up and go. Uh, for for someone with you know just kind of normal normal health quote unquote normal if, if anyone's really normal right but quote unquote normal healthy you know would be be able to stand up walk down and back do this in you know ten seconds or less one subject took fifty four seconds before the first before the first treatment session so think about it, it's normally ten seconds fifty four like that that's a long time right during the treatments that subject I think it was subject six went down from 54 seconds to 16 seconds. So made a just profound difference in that person's mobility and, and overall quality of life. That same same subject, their 25 foot walking time went from 36 seconds down to 12. So these are, you know, some profound changes. Some patients, you know, not everyone was that dramatic, right? I was just sharing kind of one of the more dramatic examples, but there were improvements in in spasticity and manual muscle testing and, and stuff like that. So um, good good trends. But again, you know, we have to caution the limitations of what we can learn. At the very least, we'd say the pay, the treatments are well tolerated. There's trends towards improvement, and it's worth further study. And we, when we talk about being worth further study, there's a really interesting phenomenon that I, I don't know you know about. I don't know if you've if you've talked about it on the podcast, but you know this idea of the the filtering effect of how long it takes something to get from academic research into day to day clinical practice. And sometimes that can be 15 years or more. And if we talk about that's 15 years from the time, you know, something real like the gold standard randomized control trial is published. And so if we talk about doing this case series, how that justifies more research, and you know, that could be a few more studies over several more years, plus then 15 years to get into standard, you know, so, so there can be a lot of a lot of time. I think with the information you're sharing, us being able to talk here, you know, especially for something like this where there's low risk, I think. Thankfully, we can shortcut that and give people an opportunity to try stuff like this, especially where, you know, it's not surgery, it's not drugs, there's no, no you know, side effects and stuff like that. So I think this can allow us to, to get things, you know, with appropriate risk profiles out to people sooner and fast track some of that uh, filtering effect. But the only other comment I'd make is that Courtney described one interesting finding here, one of the other subjects that, that she told us about that was really interesting where this subject actually was uh, had a bit of a tendency toward depression and was feeling down about how the study was going and a perceived lack of progress. 
And he, in going through this objective data, when he saw, oh, hey, my 25-foot walk time improved. Oh, hey, my spasticity is better. It actually made him think, like, made him change his mind, like, oh, I'm actually doing better. And that actually helped kind of change his mindset in a way that helped him. So that was in the 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 assessment halfway through the study. And that helped kind of change for the better the trajectory of his mindset, which, of course, supported his you know, his functional improvements in the in the back half, in the second half of the study. So that was just one other comment there in the value of objective testing, I think. Because sometimes, you know, the subjective experience can be difficult to interpret and, and clouded by many other things too. So um, it was a, a great, a great start. I think it's a great study. Again, I'm happy to share and will share the the reference there. But that was, yeah, the 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 one that you and I were talking about that I think was you know super relevant of course to for the missing link audience and and main impetus to come back on the show. Yeah, and I I love that she included spasticity because spasticity I think is something that the majority of one-on-one clients that I have, the majority of my missing link members of even just my social media following, spasticity is the one main symptom that people mention that they've the hardest time managing. And obviously there's lots of symptoms of MS and weakness and balance and things like that, but there's lots of exercises for those. And there's exercises for spasticity too, but there's lesser of an effect on spasticity. And so I think that it's so, I, I love that she included that as part of what she was looking at specifically in addition to function. And it's also really cool to hear that two people, I think you had said were non-ambulatory in the beginning. So basically showing newbie can be effective for people who are ambulatory up and moving around and non-ambulatory, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, I, I think so too, especially when you think about if you're that patient or you're you're working with someone who is in that position where, you know, someone's wheelchair bound, can't, can't stand or, or can't, you know, can't walk. And you think, okay, look at the number of repetitions I need of, you know, quad and hamstring contractions and loading. And and you think about the specificity of adaptation and how if I want to get better at walking, I actually have to do some walking and some standing on one leg and work on weight transfer and all these different things. And if you start to think like, wait a second, if I can't even do the thing, how am I going to get better at doing the thing? And so, you know, there are opportunities to break break walking and, and body weight support, break it up into its component parts and use technology like the newbie to be able to stimulate certain areas and certain muscles and create those types of effects and start to build towards being able to do that and start to get the functional equivalent of being able to do reps of activities like walking, start being able to do that. So you can start to work towards that critical mass that you need to drive these adaptations. Yeah. I think that's so powerful because so often if I'm working with someone who's non-ambulatory, they just assume, well, I can't that's not in my future. You know, I can't stand up or I I can't practice balance because that's too challenging for me right now. So it definitely makes it feel more manageable maybe and um, like a possibility, which I think Mm -hmm. is really cool. And you were telling me, I can't remember if you said this was published or going to be published, um, but you were telling me about other research on nerve regeneration in neuropathy and potentially remyelination using the newbie. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So that study, we completed data collection. It's being written up and submitted for the peer review process now. So it's not published. And because of that, you know, I can't share the charts and show the actual data, but you know, certainly can discuss it. I was at a conference 
uh, a few weeks ago where the lead investigator actually got to share in in the room at the conference got you know shared this and so i got to see some of the data which was great so the study was done with a group who trains physical therapists in how to do emg and nerve conduction velocity testing so so for people who don't know what these are you know you can imagine that your nerves are like cables and you would actually imagine put a needle in you know one end of the cable and the other end and see how how much information is being transmitted through that cable and how fast it's going and it's sort of like you know if people are old enough to remember dial up internet like you've got mail beep, 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 beep. you know made that I can't even do the effects the it sounded like a fax machine like the dial up internet and it was like 56 kilobytes per second and now we have cable internet or google fiber or whatever satellite internet which is like megabits you know per or gigabits per second you know so it's like a thousand or a million times more information going through the computer at that at that moment in time so nerves are sort of like those types of internet cables where they can have greater or or lesser bandwidth and you know can send information more information or less information do it faster or slower and we were able to work with neuropathy patients so it's a different population right they don't have ms but there is they do experience a lot of uh, loss of myelin, which slows down the velocity of signals being transmitted through the nerves. And so it's I think it's relevant to the MS population. And with this study, uh, this so this was a great study. I'll just describe the setup so we kind of all understand what's going on here. So it was uh, approximately 150 patients. The average age was 74 diabetic neuropathy patients. So these are you know patients in their 70s with diabetic neuropathy. It's been written off that they can ever really heal or regenerate in any meaningful way at all. And they're usually prescribed drugs just to kind of manage symptoms and told to do some physical therapy exercises, you know, really trying to maintain. No one really thinks they're going to improve function at all, really. And and it's also crazy. I didn't realize until getting into this study, but, you know, it's tens of millions of people in the U.S. alone are dealing with neuropathy. So so it, what it is, if you know, people don't know, it's nerve nerve damage. In this case, from blood sugar dysregulation, you know, extra extra blood sugar is actually damaging to neurons here um, and blood vessels. And so the blood supply gets uh, diminished and nerves end up kind of atrophying and, and sometimes dying off. But when there's less myelin, of course, they, you know, there's nerve, nerve signals are going to be slower. And when there's damage to the axons, there's going to be less amplitude or less amount of information transmitted there. So that means that there can be loss of sensation, which is a problem if people can't feel their feet. That means they can't feel what surface they're on. They're not getting information about where their where their body is in space and in time to make adjustments to catch their balance. And so there's greater risk of falling. There's also a you know oftentimes weakness because the nerve signal can't get down the other way to tell the muscles what to do. Sometimes pain as well. So you know there's there's definitely issues here. And so in the study. We looked at, or the, the researchers looked at these neuropathy patients, did their tests, functional tests, and also looked at the electrical activity in their nerves, and then did two foot bath treatments per week for six weeks. And so the foot bath, you know, I already, already described, is where one the foot is immersed in this tub of water with the electrode that helps disperse the current throughout the foot. The other pad was up on the lower back. So that, that electric field gradient that we talked about at direct current is basically going from where the peripheral nerve exit the spinal cord, where it exits there in the lower back, all the way down to the foot. And 
over time, over, over the six weeks of the study, we saw patients subjectively reporting that they had more feeling in their feet, they had less pain, they, you know, they had better balance, better strength. And uh, as cool as that was, I think some of the objective data was even cooler because they saw increases in nerve conduction velocity, those signals going faster, more amplitude. And so from that, you know, the researchers are inferring that there is actual changes in myelin, in the axons. There's actually regenerative changes in the nervous system tissue. And that's cool for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I don't think people really believed that was possible in this population. And of course, we can extrapolate this into way possible ways of, of helping other populations, you know, of course. Another another reason that I think it's really exciting is I mentioned when we we're talking about direct current earlier that that there's been hints of this regenerative sort of ability in animal models and in, in animal studies, but not really to our knowledge in humans. And so so as far as we can tell, this is some of the first, if not the first, study to really show these sorts of regenerative effects of direct current in humans. And I'm really excited for this to be published. You know, it should be out sometime in probably the first quarter, the first half of, of 2024. And of course, we're happy to, to share the link when it is published and everything. But I'm really excited for that because I think it shows a new frontier to help, again, a population where there just aren't really any good answers. People are kind of left behind by the system. I'm really excited because I think there finally is a solution where there's a lot of people who've been in pain and there hasn't really been any good options. Yeah. And so this study in particular, it sounds like is focusing more on the sensation, which as you mentioned, is huge in the MS population. So I think it, it definitely applies. But then you got to think too, if you were, if we're seeing these types of results for sensation, what types of results would we see for strength and for balance and these other neural pathways? So it's definitely exciting. And I agree, there's not much, if any, research, as you said, in humans on something like this. And so I think it's really going to open up people's eyes and mindsets, thoughts on what they give give a go at and give a try because regeneration is something that it's almost like next level. Like there isn't anything yet where it's the goal for everyone, but having something that is supported by research that can help is just, I can't even, it's, it'd be huge. <laughs> yeah. And of course we have to give the caveats that, you know, yeah. we're, you know, we're not making claims that this can cause regeneration for everybody. And, you know, the further study is warranted. And we don't know if there's what differences there are between the MS population and the neuropathy population in this study, for example. So there's all these caveats. But as you said, it is exciting. And it points to, at the very least, some potential here. And also something that in the meantime, people can try because the risk, pro, you know, there's non-invasive, low risk. If there's, you know, if it's helping these 74-year-old diabetic neuropathy patients, like there's a good chance it can help other people too, right? I think just common sense would would tell us that. But with the, with the caveat that you know we were limited in what what claims can be made so far right and and all that but uh yeah i agree with you it's very exciting yeah and you know so many ms medications too it is one right now btk inhibitors were first in other populations not related to ms so even though this study is for neuropathy not ms you never know, you know, it, it's still a positive sign of what could be coming. So I think it's exciting. Are there any other studies that have been published that give us more information before we move on to where someone can try it for themselves? There's one more actually just officially published 
uh, today and the, the day that we're recording this, but this was a follow-up study. I mentioned briefly in, in passing that our first study was looking at the acute effects of the newbie on muscle building. Um, so looking at you know traditional resistance exercise and how that builds muscle, looking at how you can use the newbie with no external load and still get a similar effect. And that was looking at what happens in the 24 to 48 hours afterwards. The follow-up study to that was looking at what happens over a full training cycle. It was six weeks or eight weeks of training cycle. And that was just released today. Of course, also happy to share the link to that one. But uh, the, the, the headline is that looking at growth over six weeks, it was essentially equivalent using the newbie with no external load compared to traditional resistance exercise of something like 75% one rep max, which is, you know, if you're lifting and you're able to do 10 or 12 reps of something, and then the muscles fatigue and give out. And we saw similar effects there. It was, you know, in the area around where the electrodes were. So there's some specificity. So, so if you want to target certain muscles, it gives us the opportunity to do that. And one cool thing about this study is that each subject was their own control. So it was, it was doing knee extension. So bending and straightening the leg and one person, each person did one leg with the newbie and one leg with traditional weightlifting, traditional resistance exercise. And so their, their sleep and their nutrition and their stress and their hormones and everything were the same between each person. And they randomized. Some people did left leg weightlifting. Some people did right leg weightlifting. And the, of course, the other leg was doing the newbie. So um, it was you know, an interesting study design. And I think the, the take home, the punchline is pretty exciting because we know that in you know, situations like people have MS or, or as people get older, we know the importance of maintaining muscle mass for maintaining health because, you know, because of how it can help people resist injury and, and reduce the risk of serious injury in the case of a fall and how it helps hormonally and metabolically. You know, there's a lot, maintaining muscle mass is a big deal, not just for looks, but for health and function. And so, um, so it's, I think, I think this is really valuable because, you know, of course, resistance exercise is very valuable, but this shows that it can be possible, you know, in cases where there's a risk of injury or re-injury, or for some reason, traditional, you know, weightlifting type exercises is, is not safe or advisable or accessible for somebody. It shows that we can create those similar effects using technology in a way that is very safe and accessible. Yeah, I was the word I was thinking of as you were saying that is accessible. And that's exciting again, because as we were talking about earlier, it can be effective for people who are in a wheelchair, who maybe haven't ambulated. So it's a way where we can create this strengthening effect, regardless really of, of what phase you're at or, or how long you've had MS or what type of MS you have. So that's really exciting. I, I love hearing that. Awesome. Yes. And some of the just details about that, you know, it has to do with changing different settings on the machine because we've talked about, you know, talk about the effects on reducing spasticity. And here we're actually doing settings where we're trying to create more contraction and activation. And so, so this speaks to some of the training and the clinical expertise that goes into using the machine and knowing when to apply certain settings and certain strategies and working with an individual to figure out what their goals are and what they need. So there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a whole kind of methodology. It's more than just put the pads on and turn the machine up. Right. So there's, there's a whole, you know, set of parameters and, and learning and understanding that, that goes into it. 
I love that. Yeah, that's so true. Cause I'm just picturing, you know, you can buy Easton devices. I feel like even at CVS or Walgreens and it's literally just, you, you slap them on, you press a button that says shoulder, if you want to work on your shoulder or, or knee. And, and it's just so generic, not fine tuned at all. So yeah, there, there is, I'm glad you mentioned there's a methodology, there's clinical applications for these. So yeah, it's, it's a, an entirely different world than, than those other devices. Yes, for sure. Awesome. Let's get into where people can try this because I know we probably have some people thinking, okay, I'm in, I'll, I'll buy it. I'm interested in seeing what, what could happen for me. So where can someone go or is it possible to purchase? How can someone give this a try? The The best thing to do if anyone's interested is, is probably to go to our website, which is www.new.fit. That's N-E-U, like neurological, N-E-U.fit. And there's a directory on there. So if you click the, the four patients button, there's a provider lookup. So there's a directory of, of you know, people like you, Dr. Gretchen, physical therapists or, or other clinicians that have devices. And if there is someone in your, uh, in your town or in your region, we'd encourage you to see them. You know, it's wonderful, if possible, to be able to work with somebody in person with a trained expert. So we certainly recommend starting there. If for some reason you're not able to see someone, if there's not anyone near you or it's not accessible, uh, we have a a team here and opportunities to to get people, if you know, assuming it's appropriate, of course, get people devices to use at home. There's rental and purchase options and and uh, skilled, wonderful people on our team that can do support remotely and help do assessments, do custom programs. There also is whether someone's working locally with, with someone in, in their community or working with us remotely, there's also a, a cool thing that we started hosting that I'd love to talk about quickly, which is our MS boot camps. So we've been doing these approximately once a quarter at our office here in Austin, Texas. And it's an opportunity uh, specific to MS patients. So it's an opportunity for or individuals with MS to come to Austin for a three-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and to get two one-on-one -on -one physical therapy sessions each day. And then also have we have these uh, gatherings over lunchtime where we'll do lunch and learn. Um, I'll often go and, and uh, just have a conversation with, with people and do a little bit of Q&A and talk about different topics and things like that. And we uh, you know just have these, these wonderful small group gatherings. And it's cool because like you see in your community, you know, People get to meet others who are going through similar situations and can learn, they can learn from each other and share experiences, which is, is so powerful that, you know, community and, and companionship and everything on the journey just makes a huge difference. Um, and then also, it's a great opportunity if people are interested in trying technology like the newbie, it's a great opportunity to get to see firsthand how you respond to it, how well it, you know, it might be able to, to help and, and work and, you know, whether you may want to continue on with us or working locally with, with somebody else too. So it's a really cool way to kind of try it out in that intensive format where we have a lot of people who have been through and, you know, doing those two sessions a day for three days have noticed significant changes already. And, and then they're thinking like, okay, I'm starting to see progress. Like I'm motivated. I want to continue on, you know, however, however that looks. So it's a really wonderful experience. Dr. Mandy, who, who, you know, runs these and then one or two other physical therapists on our team are also involved, depending on how many people are, are here, uh, usually fewer in the summer, because of course there's heat sensitivity, you know, oftentimes is one, one piece of MS and it does, it gets hot in Texas in the summer. 
the the boot camp just to just close the loop on that you know it's a it's a one other opportunity for people to try out the newbie and usually is a, a very positive experience yeah, I love the idea of that. I actually recently started working with a one-on-one client who intended uh, attended one of those boot camps and then started working with me. So she's doing both a newbie and those exercises as well as functional exercises in my program. And I think it's it's such a a good fit to to be working in such a functional way. And I love that your website has the five uh, provider lookup. Is that what you called it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. That's so convenient, especially because there's more and more providers, I'm assuming, being added to that as time goes on. So people can easily go there and find that. I will put the website in the show notes for anyone who's wondering. And lastly, you guys have a book out about new fit, which I have, and I read it from front to back and I loved it. And now it's available on audiobook, which is super exciting. Can you share a bit about that and what people can expect? Yes. Thank you so much. I, I feel the same way about you and your book. And uh, when I got to have you on our podcast too, I feel like it's now it's nice that the roles are reversing here, but uh, thank you. Thank you for the kind words about, about the book. Uh, as you know, it's, that's an adventure. It's just, it's a, a labor of love to write and complete and release a book, uh, a long journey, but uh the, the most common question I was getting about the book is, hey, where's the audiobook? So finally, I heard that enough. I was like, okay. So I, so I you know, went into the studio, recorded the audiobook, and it came out a couple months ago. So we're recording this fall of 23. It came out in the summer of 2023. And it's on Audible, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Books, essentially anywhere that I imagine people are finding audiobooks. If 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 you're looking somewhere and it's, it's not there, let us know, please. We'll <laughs> try and get it on there. But and the the book is it's um it's kind of a tour through this whole methodology. We start by talking about the nervous system and why it's important and some of these powerful neurological principles, and then go through how to apply it into daily practice with sports injuries and post-surgically, and a lot with neurological patients, including MS patients or or neurotrauma patients, you know, spinal cord injury and different different types of patients there. Um, and then we talk about fitness and athletic performance and how to monitor and improve overall neurological health. So there's a little bit about, you know, things like measuring heart rate variability and, and sleep and lifestyle habits and things like that. And, and, and all throughout that common thread is the nervous system looking at how we can influence the nervous system to, to support healing, to support health and performance, and then how we can measure and look at, you know, things like nutrition and, and overall lifestyle through that neurological lens. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of anything that makes treatment accessible. And I think your book is, it does just that. So I'm, I haven't listened to the audiobook yet, but I'm excited to. And we'll share the links for the audiobook on those platforms also in the show notes, as well as the research that we discussed too. So if anyone's looking for those, you can just look there. But this has been such a great discussion. Again, I love learning the research behind things. I think it's so important to understand how something does work. And it also can build belief that it is possible. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and sharing your time with us. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing to educate and empower MS patients and the community that you're working with. It's just uh, really wonderful work. It's an honor to be able to collaborate with you and I'm grateful to you for for everything you're doing. Absolutely. I feel like we're we're such a good fit. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out.
thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you love this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.